There's a game we sometimes play around our dinner table when we're feeling a bit silly. I'm sure you've played it before. It's a childhood staple. The game is called Telephone. One person thinks of a word or a phrase and whispers it into the ear of their neighbor. Then that person whispers it to their neighbor and on it travels around the table or around the room until it comes to the last person who then says the phrase out loud for all to hear. The idea is to see how faithfully we can transmit the original speaker's creation without accidentally altering what they said. Of course, the phrase often gets muddled and silliness ensues. It can be a simple phrase like rescue bots getting changed to whiskey bottles, or you could go for a tongue twister like musical mice made the muffin mix while humming a melancholy melody. Good luck transmitting that faithfully. Either way, what makes the game fun is that the words being transmitted are absolutely meaningless. There is literally no harm that can come from making a mistake other than perhaps some temporary embarrassment. But what if the thing being communicated is more consequential? I'm sure you can think of a time when the rumor mill chewed up some facts and spit out falsehoods. Whether it happens to you or someone you know, it can be painful and disheartening when the truth is mishandled or altered. Or what if the information being communicated is highly sensitive and complex? Imagine, for example, a group of doctors working on a vaccine. If something is miscommunicated among them, it could be dangerous. Or what about a field commander issuing orders to troops? If his instructions are misspoken or misheard, the consequences could be unthinkable. And what if the words being transmitted are even more significant than that? What if they are, for example, the words of Scripture? I'm often amazed at how many people have this overly simplistic understanding of how the Bible has found its way to us. Of course, it's a legitimate question and one that we're going to try to answer today. But too many people think of this process as if it were like the game of telephone. They imagine that the Bible was copied and copied, then copies were made of the copies and Translations were made of the copies of the copies, and translations were made of the translations of the copies of the copies, such that the end result is something that must be hopelessly corrupted. Surely the Bibles we possess must bear very little resemblance to the Bible when it was originally written, right? The short answer is absolutely not. And I want to explain to you why and how that is the case. Now, before I go too far, I want to recommend a resource to you. It's a book written by Robert Plummer called 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible. Chapter 5 of that book seeks to answer this question. Were the ancient manuscripts of the Bible transmitted accurately? That's the question we're taking up today, and I found Dr. Plummer's summary incredibly helpful and concise. If you're looking to go a bit deeper on this question or on many other questions about interpreting the Bible, that would be a great resource to have. Now, to help us make sense of how the Bible has come to us from its origins, I want to outline some basic facts. The first fact is very simple, and it is that the Bible was not written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew with a few small portions in another ancient language called Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek. So when we read the Bible in English, we're reading a translation of something that was originally written in a different language. The second fact I want you to know is that the original documents, as they were written by human authors like Moses or Isaiah or Luke or Paul, 
Those original manuscripts are called autographs. We do not have access to any of those autographs. They've all been lost. In other words, it is impossible for us to take the scroll on which Isaiah originally wrote and simply translate his words from Hebrew to English. That is simply not an option. Instead, we have to rely on one of the copies that were made of Isaiah's scroll, which brings me to the third fact I want you to know, that there are thousands of manuscript copies. We don't have the autographs, but we do have around 6,000 copies of various portions of the Bible. Of course, not every manuscript contains the entire Bible, but the Bible is easily one of the most well-attested books in all of history. Now, who made these copies? Well, the printing press was not invented until the second half of the 1400s. It's only been around for less than 600 years. Before that time, it was impossible to reproduce identical copies of a book. So if there were to be copies made, it would have to be the work of scribes. Scribes were the ancient equivalent of a Xerox machine. They would sit down with a manuscript and copy it word for word, line for line, beginning to end. The manuscripts of the Bible to which we have access are all the works of scribes who copied from another manuscript going all the way back to the autographs. This is partly where that idea of the telephone game comes into play. People imagine these scribes making copies of copies of copies so that the manuscripts we have must surely contain abundant and serious errors, right? Well, that brings me to the fourth fact I want you to know, that biblical scribes took their work very seriously. I want you, just as an act of empathy, to put yourself into the shoes of a Jewish or Christian scribe who has been tasked with making a copy of a particular biblical manuscript. Let's say you're copying the gospel according to Luke. And two things are true about you. First, you've been trained to do this job with remarkable precision and accuracy. And second, you know what is at stake if you make an error. It's not like you're copying a recipe book and the worst case scenario is that someone's cake gets too dry or a casserole is too salty. You're making a copy of something that is going to help people know Jesus. And if you make a serious enough error, it could have eternal consequences on your readers. On top of that, you also know that future scribes will depend in part on the work that you're now doing. I, for one, cannot imagine the pressure those scribes must have felt. Robert Plummer summarizes it this way. He says, Ancient Jewish rabbis and early Christian scribes usually exercised great precision in the copying of biblical texts. Jewish scribes followed detailed systems for counting letters in manuscripts and checking for accidental variations. Likewise, Christian scribes showed great caution, often having multiple correctors read through their copies to check for errors. Inevitably, all hand-copied manuscripts have some variations, but striking accuracy is evidenced in most ancient copies of our Old and New Testaments. Now, that last sentence is important. Scribes went about their work with great attention to detail. That's true, and for the most part, they were remarkably precise and accurate in their duplication. But there were inevitable differences in these various manuscripts. The scribes were human, after all. So what do we make of that? 
Well, that brings me to the fifth fact that I want you to know, that there is an entire field of study dedicated to comparing and studying the different copies of biblical manuscripts. This field is known as textual criticism. And what textual critics do is they go over all of those manuscripts with a fine-tooth comb and they compare them to one another. They pay attention to when the copy was made and how similar it is to others. And as I said earlier, it's not like these textual critics only have access to a few manuscripts. There are literally thousands of them, and the number is continually growing as archaeologists find more of them. By poring over these thousands of manuscripts, textual critics are able to reconstruct the wording of what was in the autographs, the original documents. In other words, while we do not have access to the autographs, we can know with reasonable certainty what they said. Scholars today estimate that we can reconstruct between 97 to 99 percent of the New Testament beyond a reasonable doubt, and we can do the same with more than 90 percent of the Old Testament. Now, what about that small percentage of texts about which we still have some uncertainty? That leads to the sixth fact that I want you to know. None of the passages or verses in question have any effect on Christian doctrine. In other words, it is true that there are some words or sentences or even paragraphs here or there about which there is some uncertainty. But none of those passages, if they were kept or removed, would alter any kind of Christian teaching. Dr. Plummer puts it this way, all Christian doctrines are firmly established without appealing to debated texts. Most unsolved textual issues have little or no doctrinal significance. I'll give you one practical example of this. At the beginning of John 8, you read a story about a woman who had been caught in adultery. And the religious leaders bring this woman to Jesus to see what he'll do about her. They remind him that the Old Testament law requires them to stone such a woman. Then they ask, what do you say? And this is how Jesus responds. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Then Jesus turns to the woman and tells her to go and sin no more. Now, if you read that passage in a more modern translation like the ESV or NIV, you'll find a note that says something about this passage not being found in the earliest manuscripts. In other words, the oldest manuscripts are the ones closest to the autographs. And as textual critics have found older and older manuscripts of John's account of the gospel, they find that this passage is missing and only shows up in some later copies. So there is reason to doubt whether the passage was original or not, which means that we should be cautious with it. Here's a note that the authors of the ESV Study Bible include in their study notes. They say, There is considerable doubt that this story is part of John's original gospel, for it is absent from all of the oldest manuscripts. But there is nothing in it unworthy of sound doctrine. It seems best to view the story as something that probably happened during Jesus' ministry, but that was not originally part of what John wrote in his gospel. Therefore, it should not be considered as part of Scripture, and should not be used as the basis for building any point of doctrine unless confirmed in Scripture. In other words, when we encounter a text that is debated, it's wise not to let it stand on its own. If some truths from it are confirmed in other parts of Scripture, that's fine. Otherwise, we should be cautious. The point, however, is that textual criticism worked. 
And one practical takeaway is that, generally speaking, newer translations rely on better underlying manuscripts than older translations. There's nothing wrong, for example, with the King James Version, and there may be good reasons why some people continue to prefer that translation. But it was completed in the early 1600s, and since then we've acquired access to many more and better manuscripts so that newer translations stand on a more solid footing when it comes to reconstructing what was in the original autographs. Now, one of my hopes as we sort of take a step back about this particular episode is that it will help you see why it is reasonable to trust the reliability of our translations of the Bible. They are not translations of translations. They're all grounded on the original languages and translated directly from them into English. And they rely on a strikingly accurate reconstruction of what was in the original manuscripts. At the same time, however, it's important to remember the sovereignty and providence of God in this whole process. Behind the work of scribes and textual critics is the good hand of a God who wants us to know Him. He wants to be heard, and He wants us to hear His words clearly and accurately. So while it is reasonable to trust that we can do that, It's also an opportunity for us to exercise faith that God has wisely worked throughout history to ensure that the Bibles we hold in our hands today are an accurate representation of what He has said, that they are, in fact, God's Word. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.